0: Few verses, and if we have enough time, we will get into a little bit of the text tonight. But we're going to look at the, uh, a lot of the background of Philippians. And just curious, is there anyone who would say Philippians is my favorite book of the Bible? All right, just checking. There's some who maybe that's one of the several. Okay, um, I am looking forward to this, and for years I've kind of um, Look forward to getting to Philippians. I wouldn't say it's my favorite of all, but I would say it's definitely one of my favorites, and there's a lot, of, a lot of really good truth in the book of Philippians. And so we'll read the first five verses in our reading tonight. So if you're able to stand with me for the reading of God's Word, please do so. Philippians 1, 1-5 is where we'll read in the Scripture. And it says as follows. Philippians 1, 1. Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God on every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Let's pray together. Brother Jeremiah, would you pray for us, please? Thank you for this evening. Thank you for bringing us all here together on this midweek prayer service. We look forward to the message that Pastor John has for us from your word. We pray that we would just use your word in our hearts tonight, Lord. Help us to be tender, receptive to what the Holy Spirit has for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, please be seated. I don't know if you've ever gone to call someone and you hesitate and you think to yourself, maybe this isn't the best time for them, I don't know what they have going on, I don't know what's going on with them, maybe I'll just wait, Um, maybe there'll be a better time, I know sometimes there are situations where we don't always understand what someone else is going through or what they have going on at the moment, And uh, one example of this years ago, I was an intern in Philadelphia, and that church set us up to do 20 to 25 hours of door knocking a week, and I remember that being quite a challenge to get all of that in, and they had laid us out with maps, and they sent us into this Jewish neighborhood, and we started knocking on doors in this Jewish neighborhood, and you talk about a tough neighborhood to knock doors in, I mean, people are just like, I'm a Jew, not interested, and it was like kind of down down the way we went. But I came to this one house, and it, was, it struck me as a little odd because it was the middle of the afternoon, and there was a lot of cars around. And this wasn't on a weekend. This was during the week. So I kind of I thought, oh, maybe they're having a party or something. It's a little different. But I just thought, we're going on the next house. So I go up to that house. I knock on the door. I say, hi, my name's John, and I'm from Calvary Baptist Church of Elkins Park. And she says, young man. She put her hands on her hips. Do you know what you've just done? I said, no, ma'am, I do not. She said, you've just knocked on a house of mourning. I said, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that. She says, um, all these people are here because so-and-so died. And she was very offended. I said, well, I said, I'm sorry, ma'am. I had no, no way to know. Um, and I was kind of flustered or embarrassed. And I said, well, uh, and I didn't know what to say next. I said, have a good day. And then we just left. So it wasn't the best scenario. I had no idea what was going on inside that house, right? All I knew is there was cars. I had no idea what was happening. You know, sometimes when we receive a letter, we might not know what's going on. And for Paul, the Philippians when they received his letter, there was a very specific background of what was going on when he wrote this letter. And you know, it's a wonderful thing to say uh, I love the Lord or to say let's praise the Lord. But sometimes when you know the background of what someone's going through when they say those things, it gives those things a lot more strength and power and meaning. And when we look at Paul as he writes Philippians, and we'll get into the background in just a minute, the situation is that he has been imprisoned for years. Um, And he's probably near the end of his big long imprisonment of about four to five years of time where he has been... Uh, locked up to one degree or another. And we'll talk about that as well. So we'll do a few background details on the book of Philippians and share some of the background info. So uh, are you clicking for me or am I, Rosario? Okay. All right. So if you give me the next one here, we're going to look at the city and looking at the map, if you give me the map there, the city of Philippi is up on, it's kind of up in the top left corner I know it's a little hard to see, but you see the Macedonia up there, and just to the right of that is Philippi. In our current day map, we would say it's in Greece, okay? And it's located up there. And so that city is uh, a well-known and a a large city. It was 11 miles north of the sea there. And it was on a major highway, and they had a major road that went through and kind of cut the city in half. And it was named after a guy named... um, you ready for this? A guy named... Philip, that's right, I know some of you are thinking that. Named after a guy named Philip, and this guy Philip was father of Alexander the Great. And so um, the Greek language was well known for centuries leading up to the time of Paul going there. And um, later it was conquered by the Romans and it became a Roman colony. And in Acts 16, which we're going to go there in just a minute, uh, that fact of it being a Roman colony is a little important for Paul's story when he goes into the city of Philippi. And so that meant the people there in that city, even though this was Greece, they were treated just like they were Romans. And so they got kind of a privileged status compared to a lot of other areas. And so that also is a little important in the story that we'll look at a little bit later. Okay, so the writer of this is the Apostle Paul. And he has already finished his first and second and third missionary journeys when he's writing this. And uh, as I mentioned about him being confined and imprisoned. We'll talk about that in just a moment. So the people who received this letter, these people are believers. They're people who've trusted Christ. And um, the believers had continued on in the faith. They had followed after the Lord. And I don't know if you remember the story. We're going to go there in a minute. So why don't we just turn to Acts 16 if you want to hold your spot there in Philippians. In Acts 16, we have the account of when Paul first uh, went to Philippi. And this audience, uh, this uh, group here that started out, I don't know if you remember the original three that kind of were the foundation of the church at Philippi, but the way the story goes is that Paul goes to Philippi and there's not enough men, in, Jewish men in the city to have a synagogue you had to have ten Jewish men in the city to have a synagogue. So what would happen is some of the believers who were looking to Jehovah of the Old Testament, they would gather outside the city near a river to pray. And so Paul went there. Normally he always went to the synagogue. But this city didn't have a synagogue. And so um, that's where he went. And when he first went there, it was after this Macedonian call, where he had tried to go here and he had tried to go there, and God had said no, no, and shut the door. And then this Macedonian call comes, and this is the first major stop in their trip. So, verse 12 says And from there we went to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. And we were abiding some days in that city. And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside, where prayer was accustomed to be made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Notice it says women who met there. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshiped God, heard us. The Lord opened her heart, and she paid attention to the things that were spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and abide there. And she compelled us. So the first convert of Paul's ministry was this Lydia. Lydia. And we won't read all of the other verses to follow, but the next convert is a demon-possessed slave girl. And she had been um, kind of speaking out in a, in a way against Paul for days. And, and Paul turns and rebukes her and calls out this demon. And she is exorcised or removed of this demon. And uh, then her masters see that no longer can she be useful to them for the way that they had used her. And so they cause an uproar and they drag Paul and Silas. And if you remember the story, they were thrown into prison. And so uh, there they are in the prison. And what does it say that they do at midnight? They prayed and they sang praises to God. And the earthquake comes and the, uh, the Philippian jailer, he cries out and he's um, actually about to kill himself. Paul cries out and says, don't do yourself any harm. We're all here, right? And so, all, and I, I was actually thinking through the passage this week, and I realized all in this one day, you have this demon possessed girl, uh, you know, who loses the demon. They're hauled before these magistrates, they're beaten. They're thrown into prison and then they pray and sing at midnight and then there's an earthquake. You talk about a busy 24 hours. Then they rescue someone from suicide and then they preach to him and to his family and his house turns to the Lord. Each person in his home placed faith in Christ. So uh, this 24 hours was huge in the Lord's work and a great many things happened in this 24 hours. But the the Bible actually says after this, very soon, the next day or so, they leave town. And so it's kind of like there's this big climactic finish and then they're gone. But these people that were saved, this demon-possessed girl, and Lydia, this seller of purple, and this Philippian jailer, this Roman official, these three and two of their households are like the foundation, the beginnings of this church at Philippi. Later, as we're going to find out in the book, this church at Philippi was very uh, generous to Paul. And when you think of generosity, you think of money. And who? two of these three were probably somewhat wealthy people. This Philippian jailer who was heading up this prison probably made decent money. And Lydia, the seller of purple, she made decent money, maybe even really good money. And, at least, and there was probably others as well, but they were a giving church to Paul. And there was a day where Paul came to them and said, this is Jesus. This is the Gospel. This is the truth for you. And he preached to them the Gospel and they were saved. And then as the days and the months and the years went by, they continued to love the Lord. They continued to serve the Lord. And they sent funds to Paul time and again, he says. And so you can see how God used him in ministry and then later they were used of a Lord to sustain and to help Paul on his missionary journey. Um, that's a, a really good background for us to remember as we study the book of Philippians. Now, uh, I'd also like to turn further in Acts now to Acts chapter 28. And I just want to take a moment here and talk about the date of the writing of this book of Philippians. And again, we don't know precisely, but we have a pretty good idea based on some other factors. So in Acts chapter 28, as we read the very end here, um, Paul has reached Rome... And uh, he has some ministry there to the Jews immediately. He preaches to them. But I want to read some of these final verses of what it says. So look at verse 30 and 31. And this is what it says here. Acts 28, verse 30. And Paul dwelled two whole years in his own hired house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things that concerned the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Now, it's quite evident, and I won't go into every detail of how we kind of put this together, but I might share a few of the little pieces. But it appears that Paul wrote the book of Philippians while he was imprisoned in Rome. Now, i use the word in prison, but what I mean is not in prison, because it says he was in his own hired house. What actually was going on is probably what we would call house arrest today. And the way they did house arrest is they would have a soldier, at least one, sometimes two, that would be chained to the prisoner in their own home. And so Paul, it says, lived in a hired house. So Paul rented a home, maybe even an apartment or a flat or something, and they would have a soldier that would be chained to him. And probably every 8 or 12 hours, a new soldier or two would come and they would swap out the chains and off they would go. And so later in, in Philippians Paul Philippians 1.13, Paul makes reference to the praetorian guard. And these were some of the guards that probably washed over him. So here he is in a hired house for two years. And when, you, when we read in Philippians, he talks about, maybe soon I can come to you, but I'm in bonds right now. And um, there's certain pieces that kind of point us to the timeline of when this was actually written. Now, some people have tried to say it was earlier in Caesarea or in, or in Ephesus. But, um, but let me just read to you what it, what it says in Philippians 1, 12 and 13. But I want you to understand, brothers, that the things that happened to me have occurred rather for the furtherance of the gospel, so that my chains in Christ are evident in all the palace and in all other places. Paul says his chains have been made evident even in the palace. That tells us that he was in Rome because that's where the palace of Caesar was. And his chains, what the idea behind this chains idea being evident... I believe is that these soldiers have spent time with Paul and then they go and work in the palace and word gets around, hey, have you got to guard that Paul guy yet? And have you heard about this Paul guy? And so the influence of Paul is being felt in Rome and even in the palace because these guards that are guarding him are going to the palace. Can I just remind us of something? There are bad, bad things that happen sometimes in people's lives. Painful suffering, sorrowful, and sad things that happen to people. But do you know God wants to use those things for the furtherance of the gospel? I don't don't believe that when Paul was arrested in Jerusalem, he said, oh yes, I've always wanted to be arrested. When he was hauled off, and I, I believe it took a long time, it says he was in Caesarea two years. We read here he was in Rome two years. And then there's the travel and all the other time pieces in between added on. And so probably four and a half to five years, he's, he's bound up by, by guards and he's chained and he's not allowed to go about. And that seems very bad, but the Bible makes it evident that the Gospel went forth through this. And we would do ourselves well when we go through a painful, difficult, problematic time to say, Lord, where, what, what are you doing here? Where is the gospel uh, supposed to fit into this? How are you going to advance your cause through this? And so we, we uh, can see that that was the situation. Now, it looks like he's writing about at least 10 years after Acts 16 when he first met Lydia and when he first met the Philippian uh, jailer. So this is about at least 10 years later and um, and so uh, we've kind of covered some of that there, but it also looks like it's towards the end of his home confinement. He, he makes a reference in the book to his, his case possibly being concluded and being wrapped up soon, that he finds out what's going to happen. And we also know that Luke and Aristarchus are gone, and, um, and he even says, I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Um, the other thing I just want to say in, under this section here of the date is that This book of Philippians is the last time in Scripture that we have any reference to Philippi. You know, with some of the other places we have reference in Revelation or later kind of references back, but this is kind of the last time we hear in the Bible about the church at Philippi. There is one little story from history that I thought was was sort of beautiful. Remember how I told you that there's a road that goes through Philippi? And this major road cuts right through the center. Well, this is about uh, 100 to 110, so maybe roughly 50 years after this letter. There was a man named Ignatius who was on his way to Rome to be killed for his faith in Christ. He was going to be murdered because he had placed his faith in the Lord and been a witness. So he's being escorted to Rome and they come through the city of Philippi. And the records and the historians say that there were believers from the church at Philippi that came out to him and that walked with him on the road. And that they loved him and encouraged him as he was going on his way to die in Rome. And I just like this phrase, they were not ashamed of his chains. That's what Paul makes reference of others, that they were not ashamed of my chains. And... Um, it 's important to be loyal to those who are loyal to the Lord, is it not? so as we uh, look at the back at the the book of Philippians, um, we see the purpose and the theme real briefly we 'll look at a few keywords and that sort of thing. but really, in a way, this is sort of like a thank you note. I hope we all know what thank you notes are um, Thankfully, Paul wasn 't using one of those little Walmart ones that 's real small, you know he was using much bigger, um, better utensils and all. But what had happened is that the, the church at Philippi had sent him a gift by the hand of Epaphroditus, probably. And Epaphroditus had come with this gift. He had gotten sick. And then uh, later he had gotten better. And Paul is sending this maybe even back with Epaphroditus to, to say thank you for the gift and to encourage them in the Lord. So he's uh, sending this letter back with Epaphroditus. It's also a word of encouragement. Um, Paul is very open and very personal in this letter, and so he's encouraging the believers. I also call it a word of heartfelt love and a personal update, kind of like this is what's happening. And really, in this letter, there's over a hundred references to I, me, my, and mine, and Paul really is giving them that personal update and sharing what's going on in his life. And then there are a couple of very brief but short warnings. And they seem to be preventative, um, but they, he does just warn them about several issues that are going on in other places and could maybe come to them. All right, so uh, let's look at some of the key words. And it, we won't uh, look in depth at some of these, but um, if you look at verse seventeen, Philippians 1.17, it says, But the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. All right, this word gospel appears Numerous times in the book of Philippians, especially in Philippians 1. Paul emphasizes the gospel uh, over and over again in Philippians chapter 1. So we'll see that as we work through chapter 1. Now this is maybe one you could guess. So the word gospel is one of those. But the next word that's real commonly known is... Any guesses on this common word in Philippians? You. That's, that might be common. I don't know. I didn't try you. Joy, that's right. Joy and rejoicing. The noun is five times. The verb is eight times. And we're very familiar with rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice, right? So he does reference joy quite a bit and rejoicing. Another word that we see quite a bit we'll find in verse 5, which is what we've read uh, here tonight. It says, for your fellowship in the Gospel from the first day until now. That word fellowship recurs numerous times it's in chapter 1 verse 5 verse 7 chapter 2 verse 1 chapter 3 verse 10 chapter 4 verse 14 and 15 and so we have this word fellowship it really fits with our next word which we see and there's not a specific word but we see this concept over and over and that's the idea of unity unity and he says you all he says one he says be of the same mind and he references it in different ways but he brings them to unity later in chapter four he's going to rebuke two women in the church who are not in unity and um and so he calls them to unity can i remind us that in our church covenant we have five simple portions in our church covenant hopefully you remember them at least most of them since there's only five the first one is to read your Bibles and pray daily. The second one is to ent- attend church regularly. The third one is to give finances faithfully. But the fourth one is to have a spirit of unity and reconciliation when wronged. And that idea is taught in Philippians. In Philippians 4, he rebukes the two women who are at odds, and he says, be of the same mind. And you can get along. Work this out in the Lord. And the call to unity is something we find in Philippians. And I think that fits perfectly with that word fellowship, doesn't it? Fellowship, that oneness, that, that unity that we have. And, uh, and the fellowship is, my, we might say, the, the act of living in unity, right? To have that interaction and that oneness. And then the last one is simply brothers and beloved. Let's briefly, let's briefly uh, look at a couple key verses. So the first is Philippians 1.27. Only let your conduct be as is proper for the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. I think this verse encapsulates that fellowship, that unity that we're talking about, and that word gospel. A lot of those key words we find in Philippians 1.27. And he says he wants to find them striving together for the faith of the gospel. And that's a call to every church, isn't it? That God would come find us striving together for the faith of the gospel. Working together and unified, looking to see the gospel go forward, Um, And so Philippians one twenty seven we might say, is the key verse of the first portion of the book. Now, Philippians 3.10 is also a very famous and well-known verse. And Philippians 3.10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable to his death. So here is a more direct reference to Paul's connection to Christ and the relationship he has to the Lord and how that relationship is affecting him and how it's driving him. He wants to know Christ. And then I think you're probably expecting this one, Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And probably the last one that we might say is well known is verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Let's just look at the first two verses here tonight, and we'll close with this. But Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of different groups that are referenced in these verses, aren't there? We have Paul and Timothy... And he calls them servants. So we have the word servants, and then we have the word saints. Then we have bishops, and then we have deacons, right? And uh, let me just talk about these one by one really briefly. Paul and Timothy could have emphasized their role as we're the ones that led you to Christ. Or Paul could say, I'm the apostle, but he simply said, I'm a servant, I'm a servant. And he was writing to them to serve them. When he came with the Gospel originally, he came as a servant. And might I just say that this is a a lowly word, but for the Christian who follows the Lord, it's a high and honoring word to be called a servant. When Jesus was on this earth, he served. So Paul and Timothy call themselves servants, and then they say servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. In other words, they're saying, we are here to serve you saints in Philippi. We're here to give ourselves to you. We're here to serve you. And if you're a child of God at Philippi, we care about you. This was the the heart that they had for those people in Philippi. I don't know how many saints were there. I don't know how the church had grown over the years. It does say later that there's bishops, plural, and deacons, plural. So we would assume that the church had grown some. And they had uh, reason to have more than one pastor. And they had multiple deacons. And so there was a a broader congregation or congregations, plural, in that city of Philippi there. So that final verse, verse 2, says, Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. They wanted these saints to be pointed to grace and to peace and to know that that comes from God. Grace and peace, especially the word peace, I think, our world would maybe look and search for peace, to know fulfillment, to know peace. And maybe instead of grace, our, our world is maybe thinking of luck or they're thinking of their, their break, you know, or some, some piece of goodness then, and blessing that they want in their life. But the Bible says here that grace and peace come from who? God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes, even as Christians, we sort of know this, you know, in a theological textbook sort of way. But sometimes we lack peace. And the Bible here tells us where to find it. Peace is found in God. We cannot find peace anywhere else. Sometimes there are moments in life where we need the intervention, we need help. And the Bible here is saying, Your help comes from the Lord. He's the giver of grace, He's the one that is the provider of grace and the provider of peace. I don't know if you're seeking grace or seeking peace, or maybe you need to be seeking grace and seeking peace, but let me remind you, it only comes from God the Father. It only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not to be found anywhere else. The world has their plans for how to find peace. Maybe it's to do more yoga or to have more money in the bank or kind of to have better friendships. And they say, this, this is when I'll feel at peace. But there's only one who gives peace, the Prince of Peace the one who is the giver of peace. He is our peace. The Bible calls him our peace. And um, I hope you will not be seeking peace or grace anywhere outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's close in prayer, and then we'll take any questions or comments. Lord, we thank you for your word here tonight, and I thank you that you are the God of peace. You are the God of grace. I thank you for Paul and for Timothy and their work in writing this letter to this church at Philippi. I thank you for how you worked in that church. I thank you for how you're going to work in our church. Thank you for the truth that you gave them so many years ago. And we look forward to the truth of this book impacting our hearts, teaching us and leading us forward. Help us, we pray in it. We look forward to what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Any questions or comments? Maybe something to add or something that you didn't understand? I know it was introduction, so yes, Jeremiah. Yes. Financially, and he was writing to them. And we also support missionaries financially. Mm. And they write to us, too. Yes. And their words aren't inspired, but I'm sure that the you know people at Philip are excited to read Paul's yes. letter and what's going on in his life and you mm. know, to find some encouragement in it. Ways yes. Say, pray for him, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it's definitely something that if we're going to support them and if we want to pray for them, Mm -hmm. we should engage in the letters that they send us, you know, and even engage with them Mm -hmm. as we're able to. Excellent um, connection, the idea of a prayer letter and of um, being in prayer and connection with those that we're supporting.